what a tool like Stringer really does is opens up to the, the world to the people who are putting the stories together and allow them to give more holistic or global view of any particular issue. The speed at which journalists are expected to operate these days creates problems, not the least of which is generating fresh, relevant content quickly before a story changes. Nowhere is this more evident than in local TV newsrooms. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Lindsay Stewart is a former news producer for ABC and Fox News. She's also the CEO and co-founder of Stringer, a news-gathering platform that relies on a network of 120,000 freelance videographers to capture local footage anywhere to be used for television broadcasts all over the globe. Welcome to the podcast, Lindsay. Thank you for having me. So first of all, tell me a little bit about your background. How did you become a news producer? Well, I'm one of those kids who's really lucky to have wanted to do something early on and gotten to do it. So I was, you know, the editor of my high school paper and knew I always wanted to get into journalism. And then when I got into college, I really pursued internships that would get me there. And of course, had the people and the support (laughs) that allowed me to do that. So, you know, when I landed up becoming a TV producer, I started like a lot of people do in, in smaller markets. My first market was in Las Vegas, and then I moved to Los Angeles, and then we had the opportunity to kind of work in the more network environment. So you could just say that I always really cared about the news and I was always very excited about that opportunity. And it was zero accident that I landed up there. Oh, okay. So it was all premeditated. You knew where you wanted to go and you followed the road that that was going to get you there. (laughs) I was one of those annoying kids that begged the local paper, the Los Altos Town Crier. I'm from Silicon Valley. Originally, I begged them to let me write an article in eighth grade. I think the editor of that paper just finally gave in. Yeah. Well, you beat me. I started my journalism career technically in ninth grade in middle school. So you're ahead of me. Um, (laughs) Just by a smidge. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's it's such a weird thing thinking back that far. It's like, where was your brain at that moment that that's, you know, because you run into so many people in your life. You're like, I didn't know what I wanted to do until I was in my mid twenties or thirties. And they turn out fine too. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> there's no, there, there's no recipe for success. It just seems, no. you know, people figure it out eventually, hopefully. So what was it like working for networks? You're at ABC and Fox News. It's a really great opportunity. And and as anybody knows who's gotten into the news business, you know, those opportunities are far and few. So I'll always say that I feel very lucky that I was even allowed in those newsrooms. What it was like is being able to cover the big stories of the day, the stories that people really cared about, not just in one location, but all over the world and, you know, certainly the country. And so for me, a lot of my career was traveling around to kind of big, either breaking news or as my career progressed, more focused on political news. But, you know, it, it was all about being on the treadmill, having my normal life, and then all of a sudden getting a phone call and being on, on an airplane 45 minutes later. It really is that kind of uh, almost that sexy archetype that you get to think of of network news where you're doing something with friends and family and the next moment something happens and you're on your way. And it really did fulfill this desire I had to be able to go and talk to people who are being impacted, you know, sometimes positively oftentimes in a negative way by something that had just recently happened, whether it be kind of, you know, a major weather event to, you know, some pretty sad shootings, but, you know, really being able to take the temperature of how that impacted people on the ground level. So I was lucky enough to go cover Hurricane Katrina in the aftermath for about six months. And by sharp contrast, get to sit down with folks like Senator Harry Reid and, you know, ask him what he thought about kind of the recent 
political environment at the time. Yeah, that's actually one of the nice things about being a journalist is there is there can be variety in the type of work that you do. I mean, certainly you can specialize, but you know, you never really know sometimes what you're going to be covering that day. Were there particular types of stories that you really enjoyed covering? Any story, and it might sound trite, where you really get to sit and talk to people who don't generally get interviewed, those are the ones I really love the most. So for instance, when I was covering the aftermath of Katrina, getting to go on small airplanes with doctors that were just trying to help people kind of get out of that bad environment and to family members that were in other places of the country, I really enjoyed doing that. You know, of course, in those great moments of power that you get to witness and the growth that you get to witness with certain candidates as they, you know, um, you know, rise into power and they become, you know, president of the United States, for instance, you know, I got to see Obama's speech so many times fired up and ready to go. Remember that? I saw it so many times that I actually saw him deliver it poorly, <laughs> whereas most of the nation got to see him deliver it with that verve that very many voters came to know and love. How many presidential races were you able to cover? You know, the one that I covered the most was really the 2008 election. And I was put with a correspondent who we would you know the network, you know, has kind of their main political, um, uh, political correspondents. And we were the kind of this, the second team. And so we um, were put with whoever they thought was going to lose the primary, which wasn't always right. <laughs> um, and so 2008 was the, really the election cycle that I got to cover uh, the most closely. By the time we got into the next presidential cycle, I was with Bloomberg, and I also, uh, you know, didn't cover cover it as closely. Attended a few events, but their focus, of course, more being kind of along the kind of business news, you know, uh, precluded me from really doing it in the same way. And then beyond that, that's when I started started Stringer. <laughs> yeah, and it's pretty interesting if you if you look at 2008, 2012, 2016, the way press sort of changed. I mean, a lot, you know, a lot of people gave uh, the Obama campaign a lot of credit in 2008 for sort of seizing on the rise of social media and, you know, making that a big factor in the way they, they kind of reached people. You know, here we are now with a president who tweets every day, many times affecting sort of the, the news cycle. You know, what are your thoughts about the way like political coverage has changed in, in that time frame? You know, in certain ways, things stay the same and in certain ways they change, of course. And, you know, what I would say that has stayed the same is there's still a lot of really great political reporters out there really trying to dig up and research and fact check. The way I think that the kind of political climate or even the news climate has changed is just the pace at which viewers or readers expect information. And of course, that has been changed by the likes of, you know, Twitter and social media, where a lot of kind of words, and I don't even really want to call it information, gets kind of thrown out into the ether and impacts the conversation on a minute to minute or a second by second basis. And so what you have watched reporters and honestly, news organizations navigate is how do they create a credible product while also staying within the kind of confines of the conversation, which is this like really tough timeline. I mean, news used to be under tough timelines when we're trying to make a two o'clock you know, deadline and, you know, Obama had just spoken at, you know, 115. But now you have not just President Trump, but a good number of other political candidates who kind of give us their opinions on a second by second basis. And that disrupts the flow <laughs> of putting, you know, a piece together and keeping it relevant for any period of time. So I think that's one of the things that is the challenge. What I've seen is a migration kind of back to 
by certain news organizations to say, okay, what is the quality product that we can put together? How do we make these stories last longer, have a shelf life of longer than a few seconds? And, you know, I think that's where you're starting to see kind of the premium reporting and, and, you know, publishers will call paywalls or subscriptions, but that's what you're seeing happening. And I know we have a, a production team that puts news stories together and their directive really is, you know, obviously there's the daily TikTok, there's the A block story, of, you know, what President Trump said and how folks are reacting to it. But their directive here at Stringer under the Embed News umbrella is to really come up with stories that interview experts from all over the country and, and, and publish stories that could last a little longer, perhaps even a week, so that when, you know, all of us are sitting back home and leaning back and looking at our phone, this is a story that's truly informative and different. And I agree the the way that things have kind of changed because, you know, just the idea of trying to, chase breaking news and and, minute, and second by second you know shifts in opinion you're not going to create a, a quality product so i think definitely there's a shift for you know people recognizing that your audience you know is as frustrated as you are that you you need to create content that has some scope and some some insight rather than just like you know try to repeat and try to stay on the constant flow. So tell me about the creation of Stringer, you know, what what need was that created to address? Yeah, so I was sitting at ABC News in the Los Angeles bureau working for some great people there and you know, I'd walk in the door and it was just your your typical kind of network news producing environment where your boss would walk up to you and say, "Hey, I need a story on X." And sometimes that was weather and sometimes that was, you know, the latest diet trend or whatnot. But increasingly what I struggled with was finding enough video to really cover the story in a meaningful way. And that was at the time when, you know, of course, social media was on the rise, but was not in any way like it is now. Um, so there were a lot of clips on social media that if they were truly good and it was a big enough story and if ABC was covering it, generally it was a big enough story that a lot of the networks were fighting it out for. And, you know, I felt frustrated that every Everybody was going to have the same tornado clip. I thought that was kind of, you know, not ideal. And so what I thought was there had to be a better way, like a lot of entrepreneurs do. You know, I wish that there had been, you know, the system where A, I could request the video I wanted or I could request more video and that there was a clearinghouse, a technological platform that made it less of a block and tackle in terms of finding that videographer, clearing the clip coming up with a price that was fair for all because of, you know, of course, some people were very willing to give away their tornado clip and some people thought their tornado clip was worth $100,000, neither of which were particularly fair. So that's where the kind of the genesis of this idea for Stringer came from is I want more video and I want a technology platform that helps me clear it and, you know, reach out to a broader population of people. So if you fast forward to today, we have about 120,000 videographers on one side of our platform and they supply video of all sorts of things now, not even just news, but anywhere from breaking news to interviews with senators. And we have gradations of videographers from kind of what we call Stringer Crowd, which is kind of that more run and gun breaking news, all the way up to full professionals that, you know, shoot very high end video for us for not just news, but other, ki other kinds of uh, customers as well. That includes brands and agencies. And as we kind of emerge into originals as well. So that's kind of the genesis of the idea and where we are in terms of the videographer network. What we've also established now is a pretty robust technological platform, which is from kind of end to end, 
every part of the life cycle of creating a video, not just at the sourcing side of it, but all the way through the editing, the transcription, the publishing. We do now live and taped, and we even put the technology in the hands of some of our customers such that maybe they don't even want to source video from our videographer population. Maybe they want to use their producers who are increasingly all over all over the country and not so much in, in studio anymore. So you're providing package reports, but also access to video of particular events and things going on around uh, the country? Exactly, exactly. You can quite literally go into our platform and say, I wish I have video of fill in the blank. It's really choose your own adventure. And, you know, very, very quickly, we'll be able to bring video back to you. So how does that work from the videographer's point of view? Yeah, so we have a mobile app on Android and iOS, and basically they see all the crowd requests within our app, and they also see the proposed price that their video is indeed selected by one of our partners. So it's pretty simple. You open up our app, you see what's in your local area, and then you can choose to go shoot it if you like. We do have other I would categories of shoots that we do not put in our app, or not at least in our public app, that we give to videographers who have demonstrated a higher end capability um, in comportment. So one of the things that, you know, in the notes that I had before this interview was this, this idea that these giant conglomerates like Sinclair and Newstar Media Group are sort of, you know, impacting the, the flow of video that's available. You know, what, what are your thoughts about that? I mean, I think local stations more generally have always impacted the flow of video that's available. I think, though, what you're going to see over the course of the next five years is kind of an interesting kind of battle between certain station groups as they kind of decide what they're going to share and what they're not. So if you take groups like Sinclair, which, you know, largely serve kind of the middle of the country, although they, of course, do have some big market stations like Seattle and, and Baltimore, and then you take a look at like an ABC group, which, you know, largely has the LA's and the New York's and the San Francisco's and then some other stations, you know, they do cover different areas and how they share will kind of impact what you as a local news viewer get to view depending on the market you live in. Of course, then there's other ways to view the news that are increasingly, you know, taking hold, which are news apps and online and a variety of other means. So I wouldn't say that any particular reader or viewer is, I guess, trapped by what only their local stations do. And then there's, you know, how organizations like Stringer kind of fit in into the world, right? And what we can do for any news organization is complement the locations that they don't have people and don't have videographers. And we do that even in very large markets with organizations that have very large videography staffs. So, you know, for instance, I would say, you know, ABC, the ABC TV group is a very well-heeled group in terms of videographers in the Los Angeles market, for instance. But the Los Angeles is a very big DMA. It's not just Los Angeles. It's the Inland Empire. It's all the way kind of down into almost San Diego. And what we are able to do from the Stringer point of view is allow them to capture video, to tell stories from areas where they can't, you know, or don't have enough time to deploy a, their own crew. So what is the um, the customer's position? I'm not talking about the audience, but the, the local news director. What, why would they want to go toward Stringer? I think 
there are a couple of reasons. There are the reasons why they have traditionally gone towards us, and then there are reasons where we are increasingly seeing more interest and, and more activity. So why they've traditionally gone to us is because of that kind of example I brought up before. They are under you know a timeline that is very short, so sometimes they can't send their own crew somewhere under the timeline they're in, or they just can't be everywhere at once in terms of geography. So really kind of time and geography are where we help. You know, we have 120,000 and max at any one point in time, a local news station has 10 photographers, right? We're giving them more where, you know, as we like to use the technical term, we're giving them more stuff. <laughs> and then there has been, you know, a shift in terms of what they want from technology. And so, you know, and I think we were seeing that shift kind of slowly ramp. And then now we're seeing that shift changed ever more by the implications of COVID and, and where, you know, crews are being sent by their corporations. So for instance, you know, our technology allows a producer to walk outside his front door, even if he's 50 miles from the station to capture a little video of something and then have it all go back into the cloud where somebody else on the team who might be a hundred miles from him can write about it, edit it. They can all collaborate because it's a, a tech platform that is cloud-based and doesn't require everybody to be in the same room. So that's where kind of the increased interest is positioning itself. And we, of course, were just trying to create more features to make video production easier and all in one place. And then, of course, COVID happened and people stopped going back into the quote-unquote office, or in this case, to the station. And so now increasingly, these news organizations are looking for ways that their teams can work together, but not necessarily all have to, you know, start their day, you know, in the Los Angeles station. And I'd also imagine in the contraction of the news industry where a lot of newsrooms are smaller than they were five or ten years ago, this is a, a way for them to find content that's relevant. We've seen the news contract in terms of personnel, first, of course, in publishing, and now we're seeing it you know, more and more in broadcast. And so, of course, these teams are trying to figure out how they can do more with fewer people. So why do you think it's important to have a pipeline like this, especially in an election year? Listen, I, you know, I think it's a trite phrase, but, you know, all stories start local, right? And even as a network producer, I would often gather, you know, snippets from all over the country before going and pitching a theme or a story to my boss. And so what happens when you see a contraction in personnel with major news organizations is you just have fewer people and eyes on the ground looking for those, those stories. And so, you know, I think it's important, though, that video be sourced locally. I think it's important because it drives the authenticity and the voice of the story in a very, very meaningful way. And so if you don't have as many crews as you used to have, you still need a way to kind of gather that voice and that sentiment, that soul, that subtlety of the story, but using a different kind of tool set. So that's why I think it's important. I also think it's important because I was fortunate enough to travel the country and a lot of people right now are pretty polarized in terms of what they think other people people think from, you know, whether you live on a coast and, and you kind of judge who might live in the Midwest or the South or vice versa, that's happening a lot. And what I have found that even if you're voting for a different candidate in the end, 
people are genuinely like good and people are genuinely worried about the same things. And I think the more those voices and those interviews come to light, I think the better we off we are off as a society and the more power we'll take over our own decision-making in terms of our own vote. Because, you know, oftentimes people vote because, you know, their mom or their dad voted in a certain way and they're going to, you know, vote that way. But I think as people understand the themes are quite common, you know, do I get to put food on the table? Do I have a good job? Are my children safe? Are my parents safe? How is our health care? Those are the things that everybody kinds of wor worries about. And it's pretty important that, you know, everyone gets to the chance to express it, whether they live in Alabama or San Francisco. Yeah. And that's real bread and butter community journalism as well, that you, you tell those stories and you, your audience is able to connect with them and, and understand the issue greater which is one of the, the best things that we get to do as journalists. So, you know, before you were talking about your experience in, in network news, you know, being able to, to travel across the country and whatnot, you know, as you're describing Stringer, I wonder, do you think the type of journalism and the type of experiences you had as, as a political reporter, you know, traveling around the country, do you think that those opportunities are becoming less and less and that now we're going to be relying more on things like this, like Stringer, where, Maybe they're not going to have a travel budget for the for the network or for the, the TV station. Instead, they're going to rely on things like this. No doubt. I don't think they're gone and I don't think they'll ever be gone. You know, networks will always have their own teams. Even local stations are always going to have their own teams. But I think that the opportunity to you know, constantly be out on the road, you know, will be given to a, a smaller set of people. That being said, oftentimes I was super frustrated as a producer because I would have to go pick that one example, that one example of a border situation in Arizona, or that one example of a person whose home was impacted by a storm. Here, as a producer, I'd be able to go travel and get that example myself and they get a plethora of other examples using a tool like Stringer. So I think in a way, I'd be lying to you to say that the staffing isn't changing as it relates to news organizations. On the other hand, I think what a tool like Stringer really does is opens up to the, the world to the people who are putting the stories together and allow them to give more holistic or global view of any particular issue. Yeah. And the other nice thing about it is I know sometimes national news organizations may be criticized for when they sort of helicopter in for a big story, but by actually having people on the ground who may be able to shoot the video and, and the types of stories that they see they recognize as, yeah, I need to be at this place because this is really kind of where the important story is. Here's a crazy yeah. and kind of like innocuous example of this. We publish about four original stories of our own every single day. And, you know, we're consistently asking for B-roll of, you know, very like benign examples of news stories, but things that are people are interested in. And what I have noticed and I love so much is that our diversity in terms of B-roll is staggering. I look up and I go, oh, wow. This is, you know, somebody from the South. This is somebody from Wisconsin. This is, but the faces and the voices that we're gathering are not the typical ones that, you know, I would have even gathered as a network news producer. And in the kind of overall scope of, you know, creating diversity, we are very naturally creating diversity with the imagery that we're gathering. And it's, you know, completely accidental. <laughs> and I'm loving it because we used to just see kind of one face being the voice of things. And that's not the case in our story. Yeah, that's a nice happenstance, especially now that as we begin to understand that it's important to to include more voices and more faces. And when you consider, 
you know, let's let's be honest. When we talk about B-roll, there are some sort of basic things. That, I don't know how I want to describe it. Not the meat of particularly what you of the story is, but there are aspects, visual aspects that you need to to, to illustrate a story. And it's nice to to have that level of thought going into the diversity of that content. Lindsay, how can people find uh, out more about Stringer? One is, you know, you can download our app. It's available in the Android and iOS app stores. The other, if you're a videographer, and then if you are a news customer or interested in us from an editorial standpoint, it's uh, www.stringer.com. We also have an arm called Embed Studios, which is uh, serves, you know, more kind of polished marketing and brand needs. Cool. Lindsay, thanks for coming on the podcast. It was really kind of fascinating. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. Thanks for listening. 